This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Booksplode, the death of Superman, 30th anniversary deluxe edition. Hello, 
welcome to iFanboy Booksplode. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and I am here with a slightly under-the-weather Josh Flanagan. I'm fighting through it. You know who else fought through it? Clark Kent. Exactly. And uh, we're talking this month about the Death of Superman 30th Anniversary Deluxe Edition. This is our bi-monthly Booksplode show in which we talk about a collected edition. We've been lately going through a lot of sort of nostalgia 90s properties, but we've been bouncing around a little bit. This was unlocked by the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy, this being the show itself. Our sister show, the Talksplode interview show, which alternates months with this show, is Josh's creator interview show. And so if you want to be a patron, go check it out at patreon.com slash ifanboy. You can make great things happen for everybody just in the world, just by being a patron. That's what I feel like happens. So spoilers for this 30th anniversary (laughs) story. I'm just going to let you keep going. Um, yeah, I don't know what's going on right now. So well, let's talk about it. Let's get into it. This book, which came out last year. So this is actually this year, is I think the 30. No, no, this is the 30th anniversary. It was 1993. Mm. There was a hardcover release. The one I read was the soft cover they sent to the DC Universe Infinite Ultra subscribers. They sent every one of us a soft cover with an exclusive cover by Ivan Reese. So it's different than the regular book. Nice. The regular book has the iconic ripped cape flowing on the stick with Lois and Perry and Jimmy in the background. The Ivan Reese covers Superman punching Doomsday. Before we get into the story itself or the book itself, let's take a trip 30 years back. And you you weren't reading in 1993, were you? Nope. No, I, I've never read this. Oh, interesting. I'm aware of it as as a bellwether. And sure. I, I saw it was happening when I was sort of not paying, you know, when I was sort of getting out of it. Well, and by, it and by the, the way, news, you you know, I, I was 14, 15. Yeah, we were sophomores in high school. Yeah, this was, this was definitely after, but I, I was aware of it as a thing. Because you didn't come back till 97, 98, so you just missed this. At the time, I didn't really read Superman comics. Sure. Just as, in general. It was why. a great time. The 90s so-called triangle era, and I don't know if you read the Jen Jerkins essay in the beginning, which sort of goes through that era. It was actually really good. The triangle era of Superman was terrific. It was one of my favorite eras of Superman. It was where all four books were telling... A continuing story so there was, a, there was a superman shield on the front with a number telling you what order to read them in and so it's called the triangle era because they always look like a triangle mm. i distinctly remember this happening like i said we were sophomores my family had just moved from manhattan to queens and so you were feeling depressed <laughs> I was feeling a little depressed not many of my friends would come out to queens on a recent pick of the week show we talked about our college days and how you know, when we went to college in the 90s, we didn't even think, I didn't even think about, oh, what if there's no comic store in town? I just assumed mm-hmm. there would be. And when we left our neighborhood in Manhattan, I think there were at least three comic stores in my neighborhood alone. And I didn't even think about it. And as it turned out, there were two, not only in my neighborhood, but on the same street, not the same block, but the same street. One was right by my house. It was around the corner and I had to walk past it going to and from school every day. So it was like no big deal. And that's the store I ended up going to every week becoming a member of and everything, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I distinctly remember going to the store on that day. I don't, I don't remember if it had changed, if it was still Fridays or if it was Wednesdays, because Friday used to be New Comic Day. I don't remember which day of the week it was, but I remember going. I remember the media attention meant it was packed on that day. And I remember also the assholes who ran the store, and they seemed like nice guys, but clearly assholes were already charging like eight bucks for the issue the day it came out. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't even buy it at cover price. Hey man, they're just riding the market. But I think that's like a violation of their agreement. But I don't, I don't know enough about the business side of that. I, all I know is it was one per customer. It was like eight bucks for the regular issue. I remember buying the regular poly bagged one because it was poly bagged in a black 
bag with the bleeding Superman logo on it. Mm-hmm. I remember that. I bought the newsstand edition because at the time they were still doing separate editions for newsstands with different covers. And I remember buying some other edition that they had because I remember I kept the one in the poly bag for decades. Yeah, decades. I was going to ask, do you still have it? No, I, you know, I got rid of all my, my comics and went away. Uh-huh. Or maybe I did keep that one because I did keep some Superman comics. I don't know. I'd have to look. That seems like if you were going to keep any, that'd be one. It's possible. It's possible. But I remember buying multiple copies. I remember having to pay a markup for it. And I remember it being like a madhouse in the place because it was all over the news that they were killing Superman. It was, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, like Captain America would be, you know, f- 10 years later or 15 years later or whatever, however math works. It was a big deal. It was a huge deal. And I was thinking while I was reading this, trying to remember how the news broke. And I have no memory of that whatsoever. Like, you know, obviously it was a pre-internet. The only real news we got was through Wizard Magazine or from Comic Shop News. Or people got news from the previews books. But I have no idea how this broke wide. But it was all, you know, all of the news. Comic Shop News. And then, yeah, it was on the, I mean, I heard it on regular news for sure. Yeah, it was all over. And this was the height of the speculation era. This was 93. Image launches around this time. And this is like the peak of people buying books in the 90s, thinking they're going to finance their retirement with them. And of course, it all comes crashing down soon after. I was actually looking up what they're worth now. (laughs) It's hard to tell because they released a 30th anniversary copy of it. Like just Uh, the the black polybagged one. And those are, you know, 10 bucks or something. I don't think they go for more than 30 bucks or so. Oh, I'm sure they don't go much at all. Anytime we we look up a comic from the 90s that I paid way too much for, it's like $2 or 50 cents Mm -hmm. or something. And I cry inside. Somebody here is trying to sell a $10,000 Superman 75. It's rated at a 9.8. Oh, it's slabbed. Yeah, it is. It's at $10,000. It's not in the poly bag, but it says it dropped it down from (laughs) $100,000. Good for you, man. Yeah, go for it. That's my story. You weren't reading. I remember definitely doing this. And I remember the whole thing. I was all into it. I remember the funeral for a friend afterwards and then the reign of the Superman. I had the funeral for the friend poster on my bedroom wall, which was the Dan Juergens drawing of all the heroes carrying the casket and everybody else behind Mm -hmm. them. I was all into it. This was a fun look back. I'm really curious to know what you thought. It opens with, I want to explain this for you mostly. It opens with one, two, three, four pages of Doomsday Punching. Yes, I was curious about that. Those pages were in random Superman books with no explanation. Oh, so like That's you'd cool. be reading Adventures of Superman and then there'd be this page of this fist punching and there was it was totally non sequitur and they didn't tell you what, what was going on. That's why I was trying to remember how the news broke because at some point we knew it was happening. But at first it's like, oh, what's this hand punching a wall? They just included them all here, but they were in random issues Okay, of the Superman comics. I guess one, two, three, four. I guess there was in one of each one of each comic. That's how that happened. For whatever reason... I never went back and read it. Like I don't know. For, I wasn't terribly interested. I remember when it happened, but I, I didn't. I didn't really think. Oh, I got to go back and check those out. And I also remember. I remember speculation like being a thing and people lining up. And you know, I was like ten, twelve. You know, or no, I was, uh, we just said fourteen, fifteen. And I just thought that's stupid. Like <laughs> I really, I remember there was like, and I, I totally remember like if, if everybody buys it. There's millions of them. This doesn't make any sense. We would have been 13 or 14, depending on what part of the year it came out. Yeah. So for whatever reason, when I got back, you know, it's taken me a very long time to be able to sort of appreciate the art and storytelling style of these eras. Yeah. Which isn't for me to sit there and say like, oh, I thought it was bad. But it was a thing where I was just, I was like, I'm not interested in it. I don't know what the thing about it is that people like, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter. However sort of coming into it now and sort of having an appreciation of 
the art form and mm-hmm. the history and and sort of you know what makes these folks and I'm gonna I was about to say guys but Louise Simonson is heavily represented here but yeah, what makes the these folks one of four books what made them really good at what they're doing and and I think that. I think a lot of comic book readers do this is to sort of dismiss the things that came earlier. And, you know, we talk about this. I think this is one of the reasons why we spent so much time going back and reading things from the 70s and the 80s and the 90s is to reexamine these things with sort of a more practiced eye, I guess it is. And I'll just tell you right now, I was disappointed that the rise of the Superman wasn't in here. I thought with the 400 pages that it was going to be in here. And I was like, good, because that's the part I was always curious about. I'd never read. I have like pieces of it. Yeah, so I think there's an interesting conversation about the actual collection itself and what it includes and doesn't include. Yes. Because the first half of the book is the Death of Superman story from Man of Steel 18, and it goes through Superman 75, and then there's a break, and then we'll we'll talk about what happens after that. But I, like you, thought it would go right into the funeral for a friend, Reign of Superman, because this is a fucking big-ass yeah. book. But it doesn't do that, and that was disappointing, and that's going to affect my overall rating of this collection, not the story itself. Now... I just want to mention one thing that you just said or comment on it before we move on. The nineties is quite rightly maligned for a lot of reasons in the comic world. There's a lot of terrible things that happen, a lot of bad ideas and stories, also lots of great things and stories. But I think this particular Superman run is the end of a great run of Superman comics. And so the people working on it are terrific creators. You've got Dan Jurgens, you've got Jerry Ordway, Louis Simonson, Roger Stern, John Bogdanoff, Tom Grummet, Jackson Guise. I mean, guys, guys. And then, you know, great inkers, Brett Breeding, Rick Burchett, Dennis Rodier, Bill Sinkevich, although that's a different one. This is a great team of creators. It's only after this that you get mullet Superman and kind of the dumbness of the 90s stuff that takes over a lot of comics before Grant Morrison comes in and changes everything again. But it gets maligned. So it's good to go back and say, no, there was actually really good stuff happening at the time. Even in these Superman books. And man, I just, I was such a Dan Jurgens fan back then. And some of these pages are just terrific. This is my, my main takeaway is that, and everybody did great, but everybody did great. It's true. I believe that. I, yeah, I, I read through good, it. Good job, everybody. And, and I, I know well, I frequently was, was looking at it and saying, oh, this is really excellent craftsmanship. Yep. The Jurgens stuff specifically, both where he was writing and where he was writing and drawing, yeah. there was multiple times where I just thought, these pages are, are really magnificent in a, a very objective form. Like, yeah. you go, oh, this person's a master. And he's still making comics to this day, as well he should be. But the thing that really stuck with me as I, I read this story, really, and honestly, I really didn't know, I don't know anything. Right. I know there's a doomsday, but I, I hadn't known how it was laid out, and I absolutely loved the constant forward progress like basically this long story is just doomsday on his way to metropolis we don't know who he is it is not explained who he is it does not matter who he is in fact at a certain point i was like when i got sort of the end of that story i was like i i realized they've probably explained this by now but i really wish they hadn't and you said uh, well i forget what we read a couple of weeks ago and there was doomsday in it it was the Action Comics Doomsday Special. Yeah. Where he was in hell. And you said, oh, I don't want to. And I was like, I didn't understand. And then, then when I read that, I went, oh, I totally get it. He should have shown up for this thing, never explained it, and never shown up again. Maybe he breaks out one time as a fight, but. They kept bringing him back. And each time it's diminishing returns. You know, you only get really one shot at killing Superman and having it be mm-hmm. a big deal. And so if you keep bringing that guy back, unless he keeps killing Superman, what's like, it's like whatever he does is going to be less impactful. The thing being is that it should have been tiring, I think, because there really wasn't a heck of a lot of plot. But no, they really a had fight, to hammer. It's a big fight scene. 
Yeah, but they also had to hammer home the idea. God, can you imagine? I know it didn't happen this way, but if you didn't know what was going to happen. Right. Like, because you thought your brain is set. Superman doesn't lose. So you're going to watch the whole thing or whatever, you know, and he does. And it just, it was so relentless, the march. And I really liked it because, you know, as you said, it took place across various issues. And creative teams. And yeah, it just kept moving. But it was very cohesive. And like reading it at one time, I was into it. I was, you know, sort of watching one thing after another. What I think is funny is that there was a bit at the end where they were like, he came to Metropolis to beat Superman. I was like, no, he came to Metropolis because he saw a commercial for wrestling. And it's important right, to know that. He loves wrestling. That's the thing about Doomsday. I used this description recently. It's a very claustrophobic story because you, mm-hmm. as a reader going back, we know how it ends. But even so, you're reading it. You're just like, oh, God, like, you know, yeah. they can't stop him. You know, they throw the Justice League. He pops up out of his pod Somewhere in on Earth, I don't remember where it's sitting in the middle of the country somewhere, and then he it's a he it's a path of destruction across the country leading to Metropolis, and in the between that, Superman tries to beat him, Supergirl tries to beat him, the Justice League at the time who were not super heavy hitters, but they try to beat him, and then you know it's it's just this rolling running slugfest that ends in Metropolis, but the whole time you're just like oh god oh god because it just mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like anything can stop him, and it's in that sense it's a very smart way to put this together, and also. The device they use, which is subtle, although if you look back, it's not so subtle, but they didn't really tell you at the time. Again, there was no comic internet back then, is that at a certain point, the number of panels changes. So hmm. you start with like six panels per oh, page, yeah, and then yeah. it goes five panels per page, four panels per page, three panels per page, two panels per page, and then finally Superman 75 is just all splash pages. Yeah, I know, definitely noticed that. It creates a sort of a countdown, you know, subtle psychological thing. I want to say one of the first times that I was sort of keyed in this beautiful art throughout this whole thing. I mean, like these people work fantastic. It's definitely yeah. of the time, but the storytelling is just just top notch. So there's an issue. Let's see, it is Justice League of America number 69 by Jurgens uh, with uh, Rick Burkett. Yeah. And he was doing two books at the time. Yeah. This is basically, oh, actually, no, he, so Jerkins did the art, but then uh, Burkett finished it. So that yeah. makes sense. Basically, this is where the Justice League are getting the crap handed to him. Yeah. And then at the same time, Superman is doing an interview on TV. And they're, juxta- <laughs> they're juxtaposing back and forth through those. Yeah. It was really beautifully well done where you'd have him ask a question. And then you see, like, you know, the Beatle gets destroyed. Right. It's terrifying for the rest of the Justice League. And I think that, you know, it, when there's actual stakes... And, you know, we know what happens, but it's still like, oh, there's stakes in this because there's never stakes in it, really. Right. I really liked and I I hadn't known this, but I liked that he's got this suit on. He's got an arm tied behind his back slowly over the course of hundreds of pages. It comes off and it shows the monster who I recognize. Why does he have his arm tied behind his back? Why was he wrapped up? I don't know. They're not going to tell me. Great. Let's do that. That's fine. Oh, man. And then the, the Dan Jurgens pages are beautiful too. <laughs> and there's that great story about the kid, you know, in the house yeah. and then yeah. he's, he's surly and then he gets mad because Superman doesn't save him, but Superman knows he's there, but he's got to make a choice. And it's yeah. just, you know, the, the horror of being Superman. Right. Which comes back around in the second half of the collection, which we'll get to. So there's a couple of nineties things here. I feel like I need to explain mm-hmm. for you and for the people who, who read this, who weren't reading at the time. So number one, You've got Lex Luthor with the flowing yes. locks and the Amish beard, which is such a horrible 90s and the choice. Weird relationship with Supergirl. Who's not Supergirl, who was in this two. All right, so two things. One, okay. Lex Luthor had developed cancer from wearing a kryptonite ring. Right. And I'm he really was this. dying. And so he transferred his consciousness into a new cloned body and he just told everybody it was his son. Okay. 
So he was Lex Luthor too. Okay, you know, that junior. makes more sense. I like that. It was the most comic book thing, and it was awesome. I didn't look it up specifically because I didn't know it was going to happen, so I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to ruin right. any of the stories. So, so I just went with it, which is what you're supposed to do at the time. This is not Kara Supergirl. You know, she died in '86 uh, crisis, right. and she doesn't come back until a few years after this. This is a alien shapeshifter who just took on the form of Supergirl. Weird. It's not a creepy. I mean, it's creepy, but it's not a creepy, creepy relationship because it's not Kara. In fact, when Doomsday punches her in the face, like her face melts because she's not, it's not really. Ah. And she turns to an alien, like a gray alien, because she's not really Kara. Fair so enough. So that's number one. Number two is Bloodwind, who was in that action comic special we read a couple yes. weeks ago. The whole thing was the mystery of who is Bloodwind. And, this, and it happens in this book where they don't really know who he is. And then at one point, like he's, he's on fire and someone sees him and goes, oh, I knew it was you. But we don't get it revealed at the time. Bloodwind was John Jones. Oh, that's helpful. He was John Thank Jones you. in disguise. I don't remember why he was pretending to be Bloodwind. However, people liked Bloodwind so much, they just decided to make him a real character. So they, they came up with some, some device that was like, oh, no, he's actually a real person that he was pretending to be, but now here's, here he is. There was a couple of things going on in the background of this that was happening at the time. Those two things were the main ones. But it was <laughs> fun to be back in the land of Bibbo, and I loved Bogdanov's art so much. He was the one who drew the Man of Steel with Louis Simonson. Mm-hmm. And his Superman is like a big bruiser with a big chin. I just loved his look. It was really nice. The art was slightly different, but they all complemented each other style-wise. Yeah. You know, we often talk about, you know, people complain that Superman can't, can't really fight anybody. He's too powerful. But this is like one of those times where you can just have him unleash his full potential yeah. on an adversary. And it's terrifying. I'm looking through. Let's see. It's a Bogdanov issue. It is going back to the beginning. Superman, Man of Steel. Number 19, Louis Simonson, John Bogdanov. And it's sort of the bit where he, he's making his way toward Metropolis. This is where he sees the wrestling commercial and mm-hmm. decides he needs to go to Metropolis. There's all these shots of the destruction. There's all these overhead shots. There's things from up in the air. So the curvature of the earth oh, yeah. is going on there. Yep. Destroyed Lexmart parking lot. These people really hung around a lot longer. He's coming. Let's stay in the store and see if we can check out. <laughs> well, Lexmart's at great prices. There's definitely a lot of, you know, self-narration word bubbles in here. But, you know, they're of the time. And they're not egregious. Look at that TV that Doomsday sees the wrestling commercial on. Is it the one with the little projector thing? It's got to be a CRT, right? Because this is 93. So that TV must weigh 400 pounds. Oh, oh yeah, that totally. Yeah. We had a TV like that in our uh, studio. The first job I had out of college, the TV studio, we had a giant TV like that. And they were, they were swapping them out. And it took, like, eight able-bodied men to move it. <laughs> I remember being called in on that team. It was so heavy. It was probably about that size. So Little fun things, like, I pointed this out to you while we were reading. Like, at one point, Jimmy and Lois are following the action in a helicopter, and the, the helicopter driver changes between issues between a black man to a white man, different name, different clothes, just little mistakes like that. It's still better organized than most of the ones today. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and they worked very closely together as a yeah. whole, because, again, all the comics were connected. But... I just was impressed by, even though knowing what was going to happen, even knowing it's a comic book, and I, I read an interview from Mike Carlin, who was the group editor, saying, I, I, I thought for sure people would know this was a temporary thing. But, mm-hmm. you know, you get caught up in the moment. When you read a comic, you have to get caught up in the moment of reading it. If you read things going, well, nothing's ever going to change, no one's going to die, then why do it? Unless you're going to read each book and put yourself into the headspace of the characters and the story mm-hmm. and say, this is what's happening to them right now. And this is what they're feeling at this moment. And like, I'm looking at mom and pa Kent watching this on the news and they're always a emotional moment because they can't tell anybody that what they're feeling. And what right. They're, you know, and then 
you get to that final issue where Jurgens is writing and drawing the big fight, and that's all splash pages. And they're like close in splash pages. They're yeah. not wide shots. The camera is right in there. Yeah, Lois, you need to move. By the way, <laughs> Jesus. get out. You are too close. You're gonna. He, you're the least you're gonna have eardrum problems. That's true. And then you know they die punching each other at the same time with the final blow. And you know at this point they're already they're both uh, pretty um, beaten down. And it just was a really well constructed. So like of all the gimmicky things that happened in the '90s, this was a really well done one. It stands on its own as a great story. Yeah, it did. And honestly, I was surprised about it because I didn't know how it was going to go. Right. And I found myself compelled by it. And a, a lot of it was just, it was a story, but also as sort of a visual piece of comic book art. Again, that constant motion. I feel like I was reading left to right for hours as they sort of inexorably marched towards this, you know, shared destruction. And it just kept getting worse and nowhere. And I think they paced Superman's getting tired thing really well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's totally melodramatic and it's heightened and everything. But you keep wondering, well, Jesus, when is this going to give out? Is this a thing? You know, you still in the back of your mind, like, he can't let this happen. And you're watching, like, all of the stuff get destroyed. And you're like, this must be killing him, too, because he can only do so much. And he's failing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not stopping this guy. This guy is literally torn a scar across the country mm-hmm. through wherever he started to Metropolis. And he can't stop him. And no one they throw at him can stop him. You know, the Guardian can't stop him. And all the scientists, Cadmus can't stop him. And Justice League can't stop him. And Did they ever, like, have an explanation? Like, was it Cadmus? Or? I believe what they settled on was that, and there's been so many versions of Doomsday between the cartoons and he's shown up in Smallville and on Batman versus Super, or which one was he? The bad guy in. Uh, was it Man of Steel? No, not Man of Steel. It was, um, no, Batman versus Superman. Okay. Right? Honestly, I like you say it, and I'm like, yeah, I think that might be right, but I do <laughs> not remember. Those are my brain. Yeah, I think they settled on he's a Kryptonian monster, which is why he could fight Superman. And basically, his whole thing is he evolves. So each time he dies, he evolves the ability to survive whatever killed him that last time. So he gets stronger and more formidable each time. But the problem is, like, they, you can never beat him. So right. it just never works as a story. It's always not satisfying. If they had never used him again, it would have been the coolest thing ever. Yeah, but that wouldn't be comic books. That is denying comic books their true nature. There's you no got to mine everything that's come before you. I think they settled on him being a Kryptonian sort of war machine sort of. Yeah, sort of kind of kind of works. So in this collection, you know, Superman dies in, in Lois's arms, and he, you know he's dead in Superman seventy five. Black Page. I'm expecting to turn the page and see the funeral. Instead, we have a four issue miniseries from 2003, ten years after his death. By Dan Jurgens, writing and penciling, and Bill Sienkiewicz on inks. John Workman on letters, by the way. Should not all star team. Forget that. Called Superman Day of Doomsday, and I have no memory of this whatsoever. <laughs> I definitely don't think I read it. I have never heard of it. I was very confused. I was like, "Where's the Eradicator? This is the part yeah. I need to understand. The black suit, the whatever." And and listen, if it had just been the whole first bit ending at Superman seventy five, I would have been fine with it. Right. No, I was waiting for more. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you have this weird... First of all... It was an anniversary tale, 10 years, and it's basically going back to look at the story through the eyes of this snot-nosed young reporter who was drawn to look 45 years old, who has been given the responsibility to write the anniversary story of Superman's death, and he doesn't want to because he doesn't like Superman, and we'll find out why later. But it's just an excuse to look back on the death, the aftermath, everything that happened, and I must have just not read this, which is strange. But I guess I just Given didn't. Jurgens and Sienkiewicz, like it is, Sienkiewicz inks 
make anything come alive. Like, it is crazy how good something ended up looking. However, I enjoyed it. I did. I thought it was very smart, but it was very dense and very slow-ish. Yeah. And after the first chunk, where then I thought I was going to continue the story with what happens after Superman's death, it was a bit of a like a roadblock. I was like, oh, we're slowing way down. Yeah, I, and I, I thought, get maybe it. Because... We'll, I thought maybe we'll do an issue, which is like a little remembrance thing, and then we'll get back into the other things, and that'll be fine. But but that's not what happened. Yeah, I thought about it. I, I mean, it's obvious because comics now are written in five to six issue chunks so that they can be collected. So there's always an arc that ends. Whereas back then, they were still the never-ending stories. And so they weren't written that way. And so this would have had to have been an omnibus. Like you, you wouldn't have gotten a satisfying ending to the second part because it was just a new status quo. Unless they had included the funeral issues, which they could have done, which I was a little surprised they didn't. And so there mm-hmm. wasn't a place to end that in this collection and keep it satisfying. It would have had to have been an omnibus. Side That's book. fair. That's what I figured. Well, I was like, well, I guess I couldn't have because where would it, where would you end it? And the story doesn't really end until it comes back, and that's like a year later, and that's a lot of comic. Like, so I just that's what I was thinking as I was reading. But I, they should. I was surprised. The funeral was good. The funeral. Did you read the fake articles at the end? Oh, from the newsline, I had that fake magazine, <laughs> News Time. The yeah, no, the Time. I, I read it a little bit, but it went on. It's like a full on Time magazine. I flipped through it. You didn't want to read Buck Henry's thoughts on the death of Superman? Nope. Nope. No, I didn't. <laughs> And then there was a lot of cool back matter. There was a really cool, they showed the chart of how they plotted everything out, which was cool. I loved the art in the second half. Yeah. Sienkiewicz is a heavy inker, so it should annoy me, but it doesn't because he just makes it so interesting and better. But the story was just kind of repetitive. Like, I get it. I think if you edited it down to two issues or three or could issues. It could have just been like a 96 page one shot, you know? Yeah. It was, I mean, it was, there was really good stuff in there. I thought I really like, I guess 96 pages is the same number of pages. It could have been like a 48 page one shot. I really like Perry White's take on what he was trying to get to. Like you're a journalist, find the story, the story, you know, what happened to the city when this happened to Superman? What is it about? Like stop looking at things on the surface, find that story. I enjoyed that. It's just the hemming and the hawing and everything went on a little too long, I think. And it was gorgeous, but it was all like, there wasn't any action. There was no, not really a plot. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea that in the midst of Superman dying, then the reign of the Superman, and then Superman returning, everyone sort of forgot that all these people died as collateral damage, and no one ever talked about them. That's, like, kind of interesting. It almost starts to unravel everything, but... I didn't buy it when Superman said he never thought of that. No, yeah, that's true. He's like, oh, yeah, I never thought about those people. I was like, what? I don't buy that for a second. You don't get to be that helpful and empathetic if you're not thinking about those other people. That's all you would do. And so this guy, this reporter, his dad had died, not as a direct result of the fighting, but he had had uh, bipolar disorder and he killed himself after Superman died because he was a big Superman fan. So he hated Superman for that reason. It's like, well, that feels unfair to hate Superman for that, but. That's not at all Superman's fault. It's very difficult to pin that blame on him. Like if he had died like in Lexmart in the fight, then, you know. Mm-hmm. Then you've got a case there. Why didn't you save him? You know? Yeah. Right. Like the kid, the story. And then the thing is like it ends, but it never resolves. Like who is the villain? I don't know. This villain who is blowing things up along the route of the fight uh, and killing people again. And this reminds me of a Marvel Blackheart. It reminds me of Blackheart, who is, uh, I think, Mephisto's son or one of them. Looks like that. This is a villain called Remnant. And I think it's a woman. It looks like it's a woman. It was such a weird thing. Just disappears and never comes back in the story. And I was like, oh, I guess we're not going to deal with that. 
but a lot was going on. There was even the Coast City bit, which wasn't wasn't yeah. really referenced in the main story. But you know, that's tangential to the Superman's win. Mongol blew up Coast City and drove Hal Jordan insane, which led to his whole story. Like you know, that's back when everything was connected, like a soap opera. Mm-hmm. So Death Superman kind of led to Hal's becoming a villain for a while and all that stuff. So there's just great stuff. It was great to return, but I just felt like the second half was a wasted opportunity for the collection. But again, I don't know what they would have done other than just show the funeral issue. Yeah, but it's fine. It sounds like you're happy to have read it. I was really happy to have read it. I expect, you know, to enjoy stuff. But when I get a glimpse of what makes a veteran, like when you see, I don't mean to keep being like, well, I understand now, but I do. And it's been through a lot of work. Like when I look at a Dan Jurgens, when I look at a Bogdanov, when I look at, I can, I can say, oh, okay, this is what they had. This would work today. But also I think that we valued maybe slightly different things mm-hmm. from comic book art in the 90s. And there was a purity to that and sort of like it's big action adventure. You know, there's tumult. There is rubble. The angles are exciting. There is no quiet, sensitive moment, you know, which is great. But for this, it was exactly what it needed to be. It 100% achieved its goal yeah. of making exciting, uh, enticing, dynamic, fast-moving superhero stories. With stakes, with real yes. emotional beats. I mean, again, I read this 30 years ago. I know exactly how it went, but rereading it, you know, when he beats the crap out of the Justice League, you're just like, oh, oh God, like mm-hmm. what's going to happen next? It's pretty violent. Yeah. But not violent. in that in that way that... It's not bloody, but it's violent. There's a lot of like... Exactly, yeah. So it isn't there's like... There's blood, but no one's getting like pulled limb from limb or anything. It's yeah, it, like, there's the dark element that we would start to see come in the 90s, but it, I thought it was pretty tame it was the lighter side of that but also just while projecting that it was serious yeah i just keep flipping through it's a brutal fight doomsday knee superman in the face with his bone knee and the people who do comics today who do amazing work this would look very different it would have a different color palette it would you know different scenes would have it would be more arty for lack of a better word, you know, and this was exactly, you know, Superman and this is always red and blue. He's the same red and blue. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of understand like when you're like, oh, they, they're screwing with the color again. And I was like, I see mm-hmm. it because it was completely fucking consistent for the first 25 years of your life. And then, <laughs> right. and then it went and got all artsy on you. I also, I mean, I, I haven't said it, but like the design of Doomsday is fantastic. And it's great because yeah, it's, it's design. two designs. It's a whole metamorphosis. As you get from the first one, which is mysterious, and, and like I had to go back and be like, wait, wait, when did his arm pop out? Because they right. didn't like make a big deal out of it. The thing was just happening. The inexorability of it was just happening constantly. I really liked that. Let's just say it. Blue Beetle should be dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he totally. like takes his head and slams it into something really hard. I did notice that there was a couple. Yeah, I was like, he crushed these people immediately. Blue Beetle should be dead. Yeah, but it's comics. It's I'm glad he's not. No, I'm not. I'm just thinking one to be, but I'm just you know. I know. He I understand. They could have done something a little less drastic with him. Pick another character to slam his head into the thing. <laughs> it's always nice when something like this, and you go back and you're like, oh, it's still really fun. Yeah. You know, it still really works. They said at the beginning, like he talks about how this, the idea even came about. They were at their Superman or Creator Summit. And uh, was it Jerry Ordway who said, why don't we just kill him? But like, it wasn't like created as a stunt. It was created as they wanted to do a big story. For, yeah. And they wanted to make an interesting thing around it. And I, you can tell because it's really well done. Mm-hmm. Who, who said it? Was it Ordway? I wonder if you go back, and I am not suggesting that we do this currently, but like, I wonder what it's like to go back and read like the first Civil War. Right. Now. Well, that's interesting. Maybe we could possibly do that. Like, well, you said, like, this holds up. And I was like, I bet Secret Invasion doesn't hold up. Well, Civil War is, I mean, it's interesting because it still reverberates through Marvel. 
Yes. They're constantly trying to recapture that. Yeah. Still, even almost 10 years later. Which is really interesting. Yeah. Because it's very simple, but I guess that's the case. And even this is reverberating. Yes. You know, every time Marvel or DC kills off a major character, they're trying to recapture this moment in time. Yeah, you're right. Where a million copies were sold and people were lined up outside comic store. The closest they came was Captain America because Captain America is the Superman of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. That was the closest they came to the sort of the media coverage and people freaking out. But, you know, we all know as comic fans, they all come back eventually. But mm. the cultural moment around this was so large that whenever they kill off anyone, like every other day I get a press release from Marvel about the impending death of Moon Knight. Mm. You know, <laughs> they're just constantly trying to get that feeling again. They're junkies and it doesn't hit the same way it did. Do you remember, I don't remember how many years ago it was, but it was back when we were doing a fanboy full time where one executive at Marvel said they were going to have a major death every quarter. <laughs> like that was their publishing plan. That's funny. Yeah. That's, That's sort terrible. Of way, but not really. I mean, we said Doctor Strange, now we're doing Moon Knight. Like it's just, they just, you know, tried and true publishing plans that don't work anymore. But anyway, let's talk about ratings on the Death of Superman 30th Anniversary Deluxe Edition. I have two ratings in mind. I do too. For the story itself, the actual pages of the first half of this, or two-thirds of this the book, Death the of actual Superman Death of Superman story, it's five stars. For the collection itself as a whole, as an artifact, I'm going four only because I feel like the second half was kind of a letdown. I liked the back matter quite a bit, but as good as the second half looked, it was kind of, a, a, for me, a letdown. So I'm going four on the overall collection, five on the Death story. I'm going to go with four and a half, three and a half. Okay. That makes sense. And I would even say that that second story was good. Just not juxtaposed with what I just read. Yeah, it didn't add anything. It just slammed the brakes on my experience, which I was loving. Because <laughs> you think, okay, I'm going to find out what happens next. Wait, Superman's alive? Wait, who's this guy? Why is he looking? Oh. I was confused. I didn't know how many. Because again, I, I don't know how I didn't read that. I, I feel like I would have read that, but I don't know why I didn't. So I didn't know when it came out. So I was I looked into the um, you know the copyrights and found it. But I was like, oh, that came out 2003. What? I enjoyed this quite a bit. And I also was a fast read. This is yeah, a giant book. This book is like an inch thick. I read the Superman death in one sitting yeah. on like a Saturday. I couldn't put it down. Plus, once you get to like towards the end, it's like three, two, one panels a page. Yeah. It goes pretty quickly. But I couldn't put it down. The second part I read in, in two chunks, but it's a fun collection. So we have one more show of these this year. And I believe we're going to do the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? I guess. Yeah, sure. I got to get those, I guess. This was a suggestion by the patrons on our patron hangout. We were talking about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles just in general. And one of them asked about our history of the comics. And I said I'd only read two of the four books because the the original series was released in four collections or four little trade paperbacks. And uh, someone said, well, that might be a good book explode because you guys often talk about that book or or Eastman and Laird. I'm afraid of that one. I'm absolutely afraid because I hold it up in my head as something. And and I really haven't seen it. 30 years. You know, the art's still terrific. Yes. We'll find out. Even if it's not good, which I'm not saying it isn't. I haven't read them yet, but I haven't reread them yet. It's such an interesting comic in the history of comics that it's worth talking about. So our plan right now, unless we get into it and realize this is a huge mistake because of the time commitment, Mm -hmm. is to discuss the first four trade paperbacks. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles books one through four. I'm sure there's a collection of all of them somewhere, but when I I Google like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Eastman Layard collection, it was like a million of them. Yeah. I'm just going to get the original soft covers. I have three of them, but I'm missing one of them. They're on eBay. That's where I picked up the other ones I was missing. They're not that expensive. So there cool. you go, folks. If you want to read along, they're on eBay. Find the money. <laughs> Find the money. eBay. I think they're like 20 bucks a collection. They're not that bad. Cool. This is our Death of Superman discussion. Thanks for listening. 
Josh and I are around every week talking about the new comics in our pick of the week show. You can find that on ifanboy.com. Also, I said Josh's Talksplode sister show. His last one was with writer Rick Remender. We also have our special edition shows as well as our monthly media explode in which Josh and I and our original co-host Ron Richards talk about non-comics media. All of it's at ifanboy.com. You can find all the shows there. Thanks for listening this year. We're not done yet, but, you know, just thanks for listening. We appreciate yeah, we'll it. go with that. And until next time, I'm Connor. I'm Josh. I'm Josh.